lot, Abby. What's popping? <laughs> What's the good word? Oh, you know, just sweating in Arizona. What'd you do today? I. Yeah, but why are you wearing a sweater if it's so hot? Well, it's cold in the other parts of the apartment, but it's hot in this closet. Like, the I, the heat gets trapped back here, and like also the sun is beating on this exterior wall, and there's no like vent or window or anything, so. It's like torturing myself. And a lot of clothes. Yeah, there's a lot of padding in there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah see all yeah. these jackets? Well, yeah, I do. <laughs> is Caesar's white jacket that he bought right next to your head it there? It is. Um, <laughs> it's, <laughs> he's, what did he say? He was like, I feel like a serial rapist in this. Yeah, he said, I look like I rape white women in this. And I said, no, you look like Dale Earnhardt Jr. Jr. <laughs> Both true statements. Yeah, Um. I feel like one and the same. So uh, this is the Spooky Succubus cast. We're an anti-racist, anti-capitalist, feminist podcast exploring uh, museums through that lens and trying to give a seat at the table to those who have been excluded from the canon. But this week, we are we don't need to do that because Casey Lemons took her seat at the table all by herself and she doesn't need the help of two very obscure not very smart white ladies I do want to hers. right I mean Casey Lemons is I loved loved this movie so much um, me too yeah and yeah I think something needs to be said about like we are very um unqualified to be dissecting black media we are not black identifying people and have probably no place dissecting this. But at the same time, we have this podcast about horror movies, a genre that has historically completely left out black people and women narratives in general. And so, like, I don't feel comfortable making a podcast without covering the topics of black people. So it's like we are absolutely not qualified to do this, but... And we're absolutely going to get things wrong. And we, yeah, this is like so not our place. But I also feel like I don't want to be part of the problem and marginalize the voices of people of color and women of color, especially even more by excluding them from our discussions because of our own white discomfort. So I feel like with a grain of salt and with a disclaimer, we're talking about Eve's Bayou today. And I am really excited to discuss this movie. And I we I did work really hard on actually like reading and trying not to be a fucking idiot for this because I right. don't want to sound like the white lady that I am inside. I want to sound <laughs> like someone who like actually has read a book. So right. we are really grateful for to you for being here uh, and being open and willing to talk about this with us and be here with us. And again, yeah, just humongous disclaimer that like we definitely shouldn't be doing this and we're sorry that we are, but also we are, I guess. But we're doing it anyway. Are we we trash? (laughs) We're maybe a little bit trash. I was thinking as I was doing the dishes earlier and thinking about my talking points for this movie is that, like, maybe once we're, like, full-blown grown adult podcasters, we can revisit movies like this and possibly have a guest who is a black-identifying person or an African-American person who can help us sort of navigate these things and our own shortcomings that I'm sure we're going to have, even though we haven't even started talking. So... But also at this point, 
I mean, I'm guessing because most of our listeners are our fucking friends and family that most of them are white. So mm. if we can even raise one issue and one kind of like facet of anti-racism that one of our listeners, even just one, hasn't considered, then I think it is worth it at this point in our podcasting journey. But I, we're definitely not going to do enough right now. And we're definitely right. not the right people to do this. And yet we are people with a platform of six patrons on Patreon. So we are going to do it. And I guess we're sorry and thank you anyway for showing up. (laughs) Right. So. All right. You ready to probably ruin this and probably disrespect the legacy of Casey Lemons, our queen? I I think I'm ready. Whose turn is it to read the plot? Is it mine? 100% 100% yours. I like okay, emotionally good. can't handle doing another one. <laughs> um, my, I'm just going to say my plot notes in and of themselves, or like aside from my other talking point notes, is 10 pages long. So like... I wrote down everything because everything was so like laden with meaning and symbolism. And I just was like, I don't know. I like don't know what to leave out. Yeah. Right. I mean, everything and I mean, I said this already, but it's like just a beautiful movie and everything like from the costuming to the set to like the acting portrayals and the character development are all so seep, like steeped in symbolism and are so rich. And like, yeah, there's a lot of shit to cover in this. Oh, and a <laughs> corrections corner from me. The actress that I thought was Zoe Saldana in this movie is Megan Good. So that's my bad. It's the older sister. The actress that plays Sicily is Megan Good, and that's who I thought Zoe Saldana was. So sorry for confusing two female-identifying black femme actresses. As discussed, I'm trash. I. When did you say that she was in this movie? I was think I said it episode? when we were teasing it, yeah, during the House of a Thousand Corpses uh. episode. Was that like, was before I even looked at the cast, and I was, yeah, woefully Then we have, like, an eight-minute discussion on the Smollett family where we were, like, completely ignorant and knew nothing, but we tried. Um, I was drunk, too, so I barely remember Me too. anything. <laughs> this, is, this is not a drunk episode. Like, House of I'm a Thousand Stone Corpses sober. is a drunk-ass episode, but this is, like, <laughs> I'm serious. Yeah. I'm in work mode. Yes, I'm being, we're... We're, We're serious adults, podcasters you guys. today. Um, Casey Lemons deserves nothing less. She deserves so much more than we can give her. Um, but yeah, okay, let's get into it. We have to because you have to go to work. Yeah, I do. Unfortunately, <laughs> have to go to work. Uh, I can be late. I don't give a fuck. Really? Uh, it's fine. I'm not even supposed to be there. I'm not even supposed to be here today. Um, <laughs> Okay, so opening credits roll over black and white blurry imagery and whooshing sounds that turn out to be two people being in- intimate. Um, two eyes fill the screen. You just sounded like people, my mom trying to explain sex to me in the fourth grade. Being intimate? Being well, I didn't intimate. know if they were fucking or just making out. I didn't know they yet. They were being I was, <laughs> intimate. <laughs> it's like, what is what does Mrs. Voorhees say? In the is making it being love. intimate? Making love. Oh my god. Two people were making love and they were reflected in the pupils of these eyes. Um, and the voiceover says, Memory is a selection of images, some elusive, others printed indelibly on the brain. Uh, black and white tall grass. Uh, and then the voiceover 
continues to explain, the summer I killed my father, I was 10 years old, my brother Poe was 9, and my sister Cicely was 14. The first time I wrote Sicily in my notes, it was spelled like a country, so... Sicilia! <laughs> Parmigiano! Also offensive, but that's okay. Babbity boopy! <laughs> Abondanza! <laughs> Abondanza! Chef's kiss. Chef's kisses. Um, the bayou comes into color with piano and twangy guitar. Cars so, in- the fact of the town's um, they, like the founding oh, yeah, of the town. The- Did you say it already? I was getting to that, but you can go oh. ahead. Well, okay. No, so no. the um, the town is named after a slave woman named Eve, uh, who was um, helpful to a colonizer, General Jean Paul Baptiste. He was a colonizer in the area. He came down with cholera. And Eve, who we can presume is magical, a conjure woman, saves him through, like, old country medicine. So to repay her, he gives her this strip of land by the bayou and then repeatedly rapes her. uh, And I think frees her technically, but then marries her or at least is in sort of like a semi-consensual sexual relationship with her. So we can see that the origins of this town and of this land, which has a long memory, are traumatic. And she, so yeah, Eve, the original Eve, birthed 16 children, and the people who inhabit it, inhabit this bayou are their direct descendants of Jean-Paul Baptiste and Eve, who doesn't get a last name. Uh, so then we go to a party, there's cars and people pulling up to a big white house, dancing and lively music, there's some gossiping, um, an older woman, they're speaking Creole, and uh, two women in gorgeous dresses um, get their picture taken by a man who is the partner of one of them named Harry. And um, then we see a young girl who comes up who turns out to be Eve and she offers them some chocolate. We see that she's definitely a trickster because um, she they are bees covered in chocolate and she... And her younger brother takes a handful and chomps on them. Some more bee imagery and symbolism again. Two members of the Smollett family. Yes. Bum, bum, bum. And uh, the all the children except Cicely have this, like, bright red, mos- um, kind of, like, Baptiste hair that seems to be a signifier of the family and of their lineage. Yeah, so the... The guy Harry calls um, Eve Red. That's her one of her nicknames. I want and a cool she, nickname like that. Red, and she also her older sister Cicely calls her Rabbit, which is so cute. I know. Do you and your sister have nicknames for each other? Uh, I call her Shmem, and she calls me Shmab. So it's just like adding Shma at the beginning of her names. <laughs> That's it's like not cute. clever. Yeah. <laughs> That's adorable. Yeah, I mean, no, not clever. Just extra consonants. But I'm just sure cute. we have others. But nicknames are weird. They just evolve in weird ways over the years. Right. Yeah, they, like, turn into something. My nieces um, have, like, really weird nicknames for everyone. They just, like, add consonants to everyone's name, either before or usually after. And for some reason, the older one calls the middle one cancer kind. I'm, like, putting them on blast. In 10 years, they're going to be like, what the fuck, Tia? Cancer Uh, kind? 
Cancher kind. I think it's from something. It's like from some weird little book that they it read. It sounds like like kids sci-fi or something. Yeah. It's very strange. It's and then it turns into like Cancher or Kichi and then it's like a whole and then it's a whole thing. But they do that with everyone's names. Like no one has a regular what do they call no one you? is referred well, Tia is what they started, and now it's, like, Tishi and Tiki and Tipi, and, like, it's a whole... It just turns into, like, they're just, like, making tea noises, and that's what they call me. So, sometimes so it gets, hear, just like, gets longer. You just... Yeah, I'm like, what? Like, oh, yeah, me. Usually, they're shouting it as they run at me, so, you know... Kids are like, loud. Uh, I love them. This is sort of off-topic, but it is also pretty funny. My sister, when she was a kid, her imaginary friend was named Ring. Like a ring on your finger. That's it. <laughs> oh my god! I have to tell you, my whole like, it's like a whole baseball team full of imaginary friends that I had when I was you're, little. You're I had, a like, lonely 50. person. Yeah. I was also the baby by a lot, <laughs> and no one ever wanted to play with me, so I was playing Aww, with ghosts. I never wanted to play with Emma either. And one and you guys time, aren't that far apart. Yeah, two and a half years. One time, I told her if she ate yogurt, she'd get fat like Barney. And in the <laughs> ultimate, ultimate, ultimate act of just like universal irony, I got fat like Barney. So fuck you, Barney. <laughs> <laughs> I loved Barney though. I was real. I was a really bad big sister. My sister was mean to me, too. And I was mean to her. I used to be... I was a biter, too. That was, like, my only form of self-defense, like, because I was so much smaller. Is that, like, I would You're bite scrappy. when she would, like... When she would hit me, I was, like, yeah. So. Oh, my God. Honestly, the brawls we would get into over the remote because we were, like, suffering a traumatic childhood. So the only way that we had an outlet to, like, enact our rage was to just, like, punch each other over the clicker. <sighs> <laughs> What a world. <laughs> Being a sibling is weird. Um, still is. Still is. Oh, my calendar Anywho. just reminded me that we're recording. Thanks for literally nothing. Google. <laughs> I didn't know. Um, so the so the two younger children, after Eve makes Poe eat this, these bees start running around, and the older sister, Cicely, stops them with a Shakespeare quote, a a thing that'll come up a lot later. Um, I am smart then, enough to recognize that it was Shakespeare, but not smart enough to know which play it was. I think she was quoting, I think she quoted Romeo and Juliet the whole time. Because later on, she's still quoting Romeo and Juliet. Mm. I didn't look at this one up, but I'm pretty sure. From what it sounded like. I don't like Shakespeare or things that white men write, but um, anyway. Oh my God, did I tell you I'm reading Lolita right now? Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> Why are you doing this to yourself? I'm doing it because Jamie Loftus, who I love, is doing a new podcast on Lolita. So I was like, all right, I like, yeah. I think I picked it up once like 10 years ago and I was like, I hate this. And then I picked it up this time and I was like, I hate it. But it is some very nice prose. So I suppose I'll try to finish it. It's, I It's really eroding yeah. my spirit, though. We were texting about this, but I read it in high school because I was like edgy, and I was like, I mean, cool. It's definitely edgy, but not in a sexy way, in a pedophile way. No, in a pedophile. (laughs) I guess if pedophilia is edgy, it's it's Um, something. I didn't know really what I was getting into myself, getting myself into, but um, I haven't read it since, and I have a terrible memory, so I don't really remember what goes on. It's just a lot of like horrible engorged member. Yeah. It's just, like, very much engorged very often. 
Also, my one of my friends, Tess, who's who's maybe listening. Shout out Tess. She's an author, and she like is always recommending me these books that I should have probably like heard of and never had. And she gave me Flowers in the Attic. Whoa, I love that book. And I hated every hot. What you don't of like it. consensual every sex between siblings? <laughs> oh my god! I was like. And then all the allusions to the incest before the incest happened You're like, were like no, just yeah, I know. fucking <laughs> disgusting. And I was like, please stop doing this. But maybe Wait, if I at, was I think at the 14, end of that series. Okay, so I think what happened was I read one of the books and then I got into like a very bad like YouTube or not YouTube, Wikipedia wormhole about like every single book in this series. So I think what I discovered during that YouTube or sorry, excuse me wikipedia wormhole (laughs) was that at the end of that series basically the two siblings that are fucking each other just realize they can't be with other people they like have to fuck each other forever so they like change their names and pretend they're not siblings and get married to each other and that's supposed to be like the happy ending Uh, i know i it was a weird book I wouldn't recommend it, but I also haven't read My Sweet Audrino, which is by the same author and is also supposed to be pretty horrible, but I'm going to buckle in and read that next, so. I have, I have to, like, kind of have to hate watch and hate read things, so if I start something, even if I hate it, there's a pretty good chance I'll just, like, suffer in silence and finish it. No, I love to abandon. I will abandon anything and be like, I don't care about this A dog, a child? No, just media and art. I'm like, this is stupid. I, I gotta go. I man, I wish I could have the hours I sunk into paintings. I just ended up like ripping up or leaving to. Oh no! Get dusty. Yeah, it's the same thing. It's like I'll start a drawing. I keep ripping my jeans on. It's it. just so like sorry, if the Adam. vibe, if the vibe isn't right, like if you're like not feeling it, no matter how like okay it looks, it's just never gonna get back on track. Yeah, and I do like stopping a painting and then totally starting it over with the same like and then it, I feel like it gets better but oh usually I'll let the concept die too and like this is stupid I'm like but you did me wrong all of my ideas are stupid anyway so there's also uh, a couple paintings that I aren't technically abandoned but I have been working on them like since before my three-year-old niece was born so I'm like <laughs> <laughs> like is she wasn't she or? wasn't a person when I started this and she can like talk now so <laughs> okay so at the party um samuel jackson is there and he's dancing seductively um with a woman that was being gossiped about earlier and then a couple of older women one of whom is we learn is his mother um say that he's the best doctor of color in the area uh he dances with the older sister cicely and eve seems jealous she runs out of the room um in out of the house and into a barn shed carriage um, house. carriage house yeah carriage house um and so she lays down on an old carriage and falls asleep and then there's mumbling noises and some stumbling and kissing um and eve wakes up to see her father having sex with uh the slut of the dance mrs moreau um he the father turns on the light and sees her he takes her in his arms um, and she apologizes to them in a very creepy exchange. Um, she says she's sorry for scaring them. Uh, Miss Moreau goes inside. 
and her father takes Eve outside and tells her that he loves her. She asks if he loves her mother, too, and he says she's the most beautiful and perfect woman, and he'll always love her. Um, and then Eve asks him why she doesn't, he doesn't dance with her at parties, and he says they'll dance at every party from then on, and he kisses her. Um, the mom comes out and asks, and tells her to be ready for bed. She, when Eve goes up to the house, she asks, um, Lewis the father what's wrong and then they seem jovial but um the mother isn't convinced she leaves samuel L. jackson outside when eve goes upstairs to go to bed uh cicely asks her asks her where she was and she says she was with dad but um cicely says she was gone for much longer than that and um she calls her rabbit and she asks her what what's wrong and then eve confesses that she saw their dad and Mrs. Moreau kissing and rubbing on each other. Um, and then Cicely doesn't believe her at first and then tells her um, what she actually saw, which is, like, a beautiful scene, too. Like, a very interesting, like, the two girls yeah. who see their backs sitting and then Cicely is telling her what she actually saw. And so we see the scene the way that Cicely is telling Eve it happened. It, which yeah. is, like... <laughs> It's time for through line, uh, which is a, a through line in the whole movie is like the volubility, volubility, unreliable nature of memory and how it yes. can change and morph our experiences. And I read like, I think uh, I'll cite the article name le- later when we get to it. But there was one article I read that was like this movie is so impactful because it's a group of memories collected in a larger memory. So there's so much subjectivity um and like collective generational memory that it feels it feels really like transient and it feels super precious because you don't exactly know what to hold on to right and no one it's a in my notes i read through line and everyone is like it's just i don't know it's a very human experience it's like misremembering and misunderstanding your own memories um and your own past and, and the being past of like those just sitting on your couch and then something you did 15 years ago just pops into your head and ruins your day. Yeah. Smacks you in the face. Um, so Harry and Moselle are leaving the party and then Harry and Lewis get into a fight outside. The girls come out and try to break it up. Moselle finally convinces Harry to give her the keys. We see that uh, Lewis is very confrontational and taunting. and They finally get in the car and go. Are you okay? What were you saying? So Harry and Moselle uh, finally get in the car and they drive away and it cuts to Eve in her bedroom and she's dreaming Harry's death. So it's our first indication that Eve has the second sight, although we don't really understand it as a familial trait at this point. We just can see clearly that she she has this like gift that is. Uh, historically attributed to black women in the diaspora. Uh, there's also whenever we see visions or predictions, they're in black and white and they're like kind of um, scattered images. Yeah, yeah, there's like clocks. Spiders is a big thing. Um, tall grass. Tall grass. Um, and then uh, then we see Eve in the gra- graveyard saying God bless Uncle Harry and laying flowers over her grave. And then she um, lays flowers over the graves of other uncles of hers. Um, and then she goes upstairs and tries to wake her Aunt Moselle. 
She says she has clients coming. Mazel looks sad. Um, and she sees three men in a reflection, and she says she loved them all. Eve says it's not her fault they died. Um, and then Eve asks which one she loved the best. And Moselle says they were all different. Anderson was handsome, Harry was sweet, and Maynard loved her the most. Um, and then Moselle kind of goes into how she could always see the lives of strangers, even when she was young, um, but could never see her own life kind of uh, foreshadowing what's happening to her and to Eve as well. Um, and then the doorbell rings. Moselle leads a woman into a small table um, and they pray. They do a Christian prayer. And then the woman says that she can't find her son and that her and her husband have been praying, but she just needs to know where he is. And then Moselle takes her hands in hers. And we again see this vision, black and white, of a man injecting drugs in a bathroom and a siren. Moselle tells the woman that he's alive and where and when she can find him. She gets paid, and then the woman leaves. And then Eve, um, who has been listening the whole time, falls asleep on the chair. And when she wakes up again, there's another woman um, who, whose niece, the woman's niece, has stolen some money from her. And so this time, Moselle gives the woman a bag, or gives the woman instructions to get a bag and do this sort of ritual um, to, to gain her wealth back. And then Moselle and Eve go for a walk. Uh, she... Apparently, Moselle has told her brother, Eve's father, Louis, that she doesn't practice voodoo anymore, is what they call it voodoo, but that's not what Moselle calls her practice. Um, they return home to find her mother crying. Moselle and Roz go into another room while the kid, kids eavesdrop. Um, we hear snippets about uh, Louis calling other women and Roz and... Uh, and their grandmother and Moselle are all in the room. And when Lewis comes home, Cicely warns him that she, that he, that the women are mad at him and that he should go to King's, a bar, and come back later. And then uh, Lewis says, these women are always mad. Just gotta love a man. Oh, He's true. Told me about it. We'll get into it, I guess. Um, and then... On another day, Eve goes with her father to do wellness checks on some of his patients. They visit Madame Reynard, which is one of the which is one of the women that went to see Moselle the other day, who seems to be doing really well. Um, the one she gave the instructions to to get her wealth back, um, and then the Eve and Louis go to see a young woman who Louis is clearly flirting with. Um, she asks him if he can give her something for the pain, at which point Lewis closes the, tells Eve to go outside and play and closes the door on the two of them so that just he and the women are on, he and the woman are, are inside the house. Um, later when they're leaving, Eve asks him if he wants any other kids other than the three of them. And then Lewis says that's a stupid question so we can already see Eve knows exactly what happened and knows what's going on and understands that her father is cheating on her mother. Um, even though everyone's pretending that she's too stupid to understand. Um, and then Moselle and Roz go for a walk. They're both somber. Uh, Moselle is dressing in black still as a sign of mourning. Um, Roz tells the story of how she met Lewis and that, uh, she thought he was this magical man who could fix things, but he's just a man. Moselle says that her brother and her are very similar, but that he'll realize what he has and he'll turn it around. Uh, the two women are walking towards the market. They see a woman who 
is fortune telling. She's in white face paint. Uh, Moselle doesn't want to go see her because she sees this woman as lesser than and a practitioner who doesn't take her her seriously at all. Um, and Moselle wants to get her fortune told. She sits down um, and then her name is, we never really get, I don't know anyone says her name, but no, it's her El name is Elzora. Yeah. So Elzora. But I watch I watch everything with the captions on. So Did she, I get they the say it one speech. time, right? Um, I think she says like El. She they set it up. So Moselle says Elzora is whatever she like is a fraud or she's a fake or whatever, and then mm-hmm. you don't really hear her name said again. Yeah. So I missed it that one time they mentioned it. Um, so they so Elzora tells Roz to empty a bag of bones on the table. She says that she's in pain, um, but there is an end to the problem, just not one that she imagined. Um, she says sometimes the soldier falls on his own sword. In three years' time, Roz will be happy again, and she and Elzora tells her to look to her children. Roz gets upset at the reading and wants to leave immediately, but Mosella Moselle sits down. Um, the woman doesn't read her fortune, but just tells her that uh, she's a curse and a black widow, and the next man that she marries will die just like her other husbands. Moselle calls her a lying witch and then throws her money jar and then storms off and then immediately has a vision of a child getting hit by a bus and dying or train. It was like train imagery and there was it's all both in black a train and white. And a bus and the vision. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so it's, yeah, a little scattered. Um, and then so. They also forget their picnic basket at Elzora's booth. Right. There was a lot going on for them. You know, I'd forget a basket, too. That's why I don't carry a purse. I just... Because I'll leave it somewhere. I know. You love your pockets. I do. I think that... Um, and this sort of sets up the classism dynamic between the two kind of like women that do possess the site. We have Moselle, who's polished uh, from a wealthy family that's a leader in the community, and Elzora, who is a little more rough around the edges. We find out later she lives on the edge of a swamp instead of in the town or in a like more established dwelling. Uh, and it's funny, like, they both have commercialized their gift, but we, because Moselle has wealth and attractiveness and good, like, social standing, the commercialization feels less grimy when we assess Moselle as opposed to Elzora. Um, and then there's really no difference in the way that they practice, particularly until uh, the end of the movie when, obviously, Eve goes to Elzora for her... Um, death curse or whatever is that the right term uh so it's sort of like just like oh we're kind of just like pushing you gently throughout the movie towards the demonization and criminalization of poverty uh and this established classism and then we'll just really hammer that nail in the coffin when elzora agrees to help a literal child with a death curse and that's the only real depiction of class too because they we're we're following this upper middle class black family in the rural south and like we can presume that not everyone lives the way that they do but but Elzora is the only depiction of someone of a different class than her and she has wild hair and she's wearing this white face and she's seen as what Moselle calls her a sideshow and so she is seen as lesser than and this wealth gives and yeah Moselle also commercializes 
her second sight, she also ha- like isn't above practicing voodoo uh, or what they categorize as voodoo. So it's uh, it's a really interesting dichotomy because Moselle is rude and dismissive of Elzora, presumably because she is threatened or sees some kind of like value in what Elzora reads to her. Uh, but then she can't accept it coming from a person of that. Or that, yeah, standing. she's she is not a fortune teller. She's not a voodoo practitioner. She is something other than because she is a sophisticated, she's, wealthy right. woman. Yeah, she's a counselor, um, and that's what she calls she her her practice and like her learning is her counseling. Um, also, don't smash a person's money jar. Come on. There's still going to be the money is still there. So yeah, you just you made a mess. You didn't do much. Um, and I don't, she's the, also the only person except for grandma who also doesn't really get a name, um, who has like any sort of signs of real age. Like there's no, everyone else is like young and Her beautiful. Her hair is yeah. gray. Wiry. Uh, yeah. But, yeah. And so she, grandma is like. The good kind of elderly woman and Elzora is the bad kind that's gone wild and rejected societal standards and societal norms. And isn't threatening children with uh, with violence all the time. So she's not, she's so not she the matriarch. Regular. Yeah. Um, and we see, also, were kids just drunk all the time? That's why the they're drinking champagne at the party. And then. And Roz is like, like, are you sober, Eve? And I was like, like, I wish I was a kid in a house where I could be drunk all the time. So then we see Eve and Poe looking at a dead snake in the water. Um, and then they run screaming. And Roz, who's already on edge um, after hearing this story and kind of everything that's going on with her life, like shepherds that runs the children inside um, and asserts that they were not will not be leaving the house for the rest of the summer. Um, and then... At dinner, Roz again asserts that this is going to happen. Lewis tells her she's ridiculous and is crazy. Um, Roz said that Mozilla had a vision right after this um, woman also gave her a reading that said to look to her children. Um, Cicely, of course, agrees with Lewis, and then Grandma and Eve agree with Roz and Mo. And then Cicely is showing signs of, like, rebellion. She's annoyed and snippy. Grandma gets upset um, and says that in her day, kids didn't talk back. She threatens hitting hitting them. And then um, she says that that she would welcome signs of warning and that if they got run over, it would be a lot quieter around the house. Sounds like something my grandmother would have said. Really? Yeah. I thought it was interesting how vulnerable Roz still manages to be with Lewis, even though she knows that she can't trust him uh, and she knows that he is unfaithful to her, but she still privileges him with the information of the reading and what she learned and why she went to the reading is because he makes her miserable because of the way that he treats her and, you know, engages in their family dynamic but she still is able to sort of transcend that and talk about this really frankly, which I thought was kind of an interesting plot point. What do you it's think? Also, I, I mean, I think that Roz handles a lot of situations better than most people would. And she is at times like very weepy and sad and withdrawn, but like her main concern is always her children. And the, even though she's going through this horrible 
experience with her husband, she still, like, even later on, when, after they've had these big fights, she asks, you know, she's looking for the truth in him because she's concerned about Cicely because she's not talking to anyone. So, like, right. her, even though she's very upset with Lewis and, like, is being cheated on, know she's being cheated on, know that she's a laughing stock knows that she's the laughing stock of the community. She's still like, my daughter needs help. Do you know why she needs help? Like, how do we both get this situation under control? But it also doesn't feel, like, reductive in the way that motherhood can be experienced in some movies, um, particularly in movies where it's an archetypal sort of black mother. She feels so much more complex and her approach to motherhood and her singular approaches to each of her children, like how she deals with Poe, Eve and Cecily all differently, uh, and how she can sort of just compartmentalize and be really fierce, really pulled together. And she doesn't have this sort of like mother marker of other kind of like horror movie mothers where she's insane or driven insane by the love of her children or like the unfaithfulness of her husband she's just a super unique super baller character i really love her she's yeah she's very complex is that like she's feeling all of these emotions and is she's portrayed very well yeah absolutely um and i think by lynn whitfield but i think that like she's um, part of the, some of the things that she does are um, not easily forgiven. And I think, like, keeping her children trapped inside the house is just her way of controlling some aspect of her life and the things that she's supposed to have control over, like her relationship with her husband. Um, and she doesn't, she can't have that. He refuses all of her attempts to argue about it or to reconcile or to change his ways. He's he's completely dismissive of it. And so she knows that she has these control over her three children and she will do anything to keep them safe and with her, even if it means making them miserable. And I mean, she also retains sort of like an unconditional unabashed affection for her children, despite the fact that they all gravitate towards their father and see her as villainized, but she sort of refuses to like cede to that way of thinking and just continues to be, like a matriarch, but also just a really extraordinary woman who has experiences emotional complexity and experiences emotional complexity, particularly in how she approaches her relationships to her children. Like, ugh, if my daughter, like Cecily's age, was like, Daddy, I'd be like, Girl, stop. Stop. Uh, Ew, dude. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and her womanhood is like, she's never. She's upset, but her never her um, her response is never like to gain some sort of revenge or retribution. She just like wants her situation to be better, and she like doesn't know she just doesn't know how to do that. Um, yeah. So, but she's also like very affected by this man, which is kind of a bummer of a of a. I mean, it's really like frustrating to see her experience that cycle because his sister and his mother are both complacent and complicit in how he behaves and how he relates to their family and it's forgivable for I guess the reason that that sort of like level of stature that they've achieved in the community it must be that way because it's just he's such a great man he's such a great doctor you know he has to be allowed the leash to kind of do whatever he wants because that's just how it works in the Batiste family 
I mean, it's, yeah, it's male achievement over women. It's like, at any cost, this man who has achieved what we're supposed to achieve is allowed to treat women however he sees fit. Um, and must be propped up by the women in his life at all costs right. because he is because in the role of provider. Wealth and success are more important than uh, people's feelings, right? Yeah, this so, is just so... It's very complex. It's so complex. It's such an intense movie. I don't even um, know. I like don't know where we are. I forgot. <laughs> we, oh, the, so, so the ladies... Oh, no, the kids are stuck in the house. The, we're still at dinner. It's like just... We're still at dinner? I wish I was eating dinner. I wish I was eating dinner, too. Um, so, oh, yeah. So then Lewis says he has patience to see, and Roz argues that it's Sunday. She's, like, pointing out his lies. Um, Eve repeats that what Lewis said to her when he closed the door on her, that um, some illnesses are hard to put a finger on. Um, and then Lewis makes a snide remark to Roz about getting her palm read while he does all the work. Um, Cecily goes to tell Lewis that he loves her, and she's beginning to not respect Roz, just like her father. Um, she Roz asserts herself again, uh, and then we see the children being bored in the house. Poe is in a cultural appropriative headdress, fake fake uh, indigenous person headdress. Not great, not great. Not great. Um, and then Eve and Cicely are acting out Romeo and Juliet, the balcony scene. Um, Eve is pulling pranks on Poe because she's bored. Um, she punches a sock monkey with a lot of conviction. So hard. Yeah. <laughs> Eve is also like, I mean, I, lo- I love Roz as a character, but Eve is also a very complex character and is done. Like, you never see a 10-year-old given this much, like, dialogue and character development and like it's she's I don't know it's like it's really refreshing to see a child not portrayed as just a stupid little side prop um and three children no less I mean Poe's kind of he doesn't do anything but two children Poe's really cute though he's very cute his little glasses yeah Uh, Eve is super interesting because she has a second sight and she knows it and so she goes to Moselle and she's sort of having Moselle download her experiences and her life into Eve because she sees that she has, like, a kindred spirit with Moselle, and she sees sort of her future and past in how Moselle's second sight works and counseling. And, I mean, sometimes Eve looks like a little kid. Sometimes she fully looks like a grown-up. And sometimes her decision, like, all of her decision-making is imbued with logic, complexity, emotions that are not something that you would usually see depicted in a 10 year old on screen. And she's so Mm -hmm. smart. I love her. Very smart. Um, And then she starts, so she starts acting out her frustration and boredom on her family members, Roz and uh, their grandmother in the kitchen. Roz is aggressively cutting potatoes. um, I mean, I was cuts her finger. She was bound to cut her finger. I was like, she's I just like don't chopping. feel like you're in control of that knife. Yeah. she's Roz is not in control of anything at the moment. Um, and then Eve quotes Romeo and Juliet, and she wants them to be impressed, which is also, like, was such a real moment. Is like, I, all the time, when you're a kid, you, like, say these things that you think adults are going to be so impressed by, and they're like, yeah, shut up. Um, and then she starts cursing to get their attention. Um and then Grandma threatens them again with violence. Poe starts screaming because he found the snake that she hid. Um, e- 
Mo has arrived with a board game, and when Eve curses again, Mo hits her on the butt. Um, she goes on a rant about Roz always cutting her hands in the kitchen. She understands that Roz is frustrated, and because of that frustration, she's, like, unable to control herself and, like, is kind of mm-hmm. uh, going a little off the rails. And then um, Eve says she's... So Mo pulls Eve aside and says, is that your idea of being a good daughter? Eve says that her mother's nervous and that because she knows that her father is messing around with other women. Mo then says she'll slap Eve blind if she's lying. And then Mo confesses that she saw her father and Mrs. Moreau at the party. Um, and then she says that she didn't tell anyone else, even though we know that she's told Cicely. Um Mo says that she shouldn't be careless with her mother's feelings and that Lewis loves her and her mother. Um, again, making it seem like her father should be forgiven for his, um, his treatment of her mother. And then she says that she goes into, um, how her and her brother are a lot alike and that, um, Maynard, her second husband, I believe, was the one who loved her the most, but he got tired of her because she was barren. And then uh, Moselle goes, tells the story of, to Eve of how Maynard died. This is another beautiful memory scene. Um, and a lot of these memory scenes are super multi-layered and shot in mirrors, which obviously represents... Uh, the duality of memory and sort of how unreliable and changeable it is. Uh, and this well, is just like one of the most beautiful scenes ever in any movie. It's yeah. so, so well shot. And the sig- cinematographer, um, whose name is Karen, wait for it. Oh my God. No, I'll never know. I'm waiting for it. Oh, the cinematographer is Amy Vincent, who also worked on Jawbreaker. I love Jawbreaker. I I love Jawbreaker. Um, But yeah, it was beautifully shot. Um, And so I think it's also interesting that every memory scene with Moselle is one in a mirror because she has Mm -hmm. this reflective sort of hindsight and this sight into the the future. Yeah, so it feels past, present. There's just this conflation of what reality is and... Like, what reality she's experiencing and what reality she's expressing to Eve. And there's just so much, um, like, complexity and gray area and how this information is being downloaded into Eve's psyche and how it's affecting her. And it's also, we can make uh, the assumption that, like, Eve takes on a lot of characteristics of Moselle herself, including her appearance and the second sight, and that this gift in the Batista family is passed down from woman to woman, which is just like giving women this really layered experience um, and connection to the women of their family in the past, even though they don't know them. Um, Because when Moselle is telling the story and we see these reflections in the mirror, Eve is present for all of it and seems to be experiencing this memory memory. along with her. Yes. Yeah. And then we can assume that Moselle has the same experience with the like women in the generation before her, all right. the way back to the original Eve. I don't know that um, that their that Moselle's mother, that grandma, has the sight. She actually she doesn't uh, operate like someone who does. But maybe the, it was just too much. It was like to... <laughs> it was like an aunt or something. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so the so the story about 
Hosea. So, um, Moselle tells Eve that she was cheating on Maynard with a man who lit her whole body on fire named Hosea. Um, and that one night Hosea came to the house to take her away with him. And as she ran up to pack, she heard Maynard, uh, tell the man to leave or he'll hurt that hurt him. And then Hosea pulled out a gun and said he was in love with Moselle and that if he stands in the way, he'll shoot him. Maynard then walked up to the man and put the barrel of the gun to his chest and said, then you'll have to kill me because she's not going anywhere. And then in that moment, Moselle says that she knew that she loved Maynard the most and she stood next to her husband and told him, told Hosea to leave. He looked Moselle in the eye and then shot Maynard to death. Um, it's a very affecting story. It's really for, sad. Uh, because Moselle, like, already feels that it's her fault that these men died. She feels like she's cursed, she's barren, mm-hmm. she can't have children, and the deaths of these men are all her fault. Um, and then Lewis returns home to find Cicely waiting up for him. Eve walks in on the two having, like, a little moment together, and then Cicely jumps, or is jealous when Eve jumps into his arms. It's, like, a really weird... Um, gross relationship forming keep that in mind for later yeah and Um, then it gets really horny it gets super horny uh so there's rain in the bayou that's what my notes say uh a man in a big hat and boots with long gray hair knocks on mo's door Um, she's playing piano and she's like sexy as always sexy piano um, his name is Julian Gray Raven. I was like, who wrote this? <laughs> <laughs> like, that name isn't symbolic of anything. Um, he's heard that she reads futures and that, um, his wife left him and he's been looking for her. He's tired and he doesn't want to continue, but he needs to know where his wife is. Mo takes his hands and we see black and white images of the wife having sex with someone else. And then Gray Raven is is banging an, a canvas together, and then he's banging Moselle after he I was like, her. whoa, whoa, whoa. So at first I was like, okay, so maybe he can't pay, so he's painting her portrait <laughs> as, like, compensation. And I was like, okay, like, we'll probably have some buildup in this relationship, and they'll probably, like, no. hang around, and he'll, like, do handiwork around the house, and then they'll, like, slowly <laughs> fall in love. No, they're just, like basically dry humping on the piano bench and i was like you know what i'm in for it thank you for speeding this process up and now he's just here there was no slow burn they like instant love um which i liked i liked gray raven who is played by casey lemon familiar well it's casey lemon's real life husband oh my god Whose name is Vadi Curtis Hall, who was he's really he's an sexy. actor, actor, writer, and director. Guess what he directed? Tell me. Glitter. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa is right. If I weren't already sitting down, I would need to sit down. <laughs> I was like, oh shit. Well, one of them is successful. Maybe so we should do good. Glitter. It is pretty horrifying. I have never seen it. I heard the reviews and I was like, well, I don't know if I need this. It's kind of a cultural experience. I believe it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, so, yeah, they're horned up. He's really hot. She's really hot. He's got a ponytail. They, I'm fine with it. Yeah. They get it popping. Um, and then, so we see, we're back at the house. Roz can't find Cicely and she's upset. She's calling the police. And then Cicely walks in in this, like, 
top notch. This get up, it chef's, was so good. Chef's kiss of a polka dot, a blue with white polka dot raincoat and matching hat and bright red lipstick. Um, Perfect for she, you because you hate umbrellas. I do hate umbrellas, although she was also carrying an umbrella. Uh, yeah, but so I'm, I'm like, saying that that rain why? hat is like an ideal wardrobe item for you. You know, that's why I get I got into my dad caps because it rains all the time in Boston, and I hate. You umbrellas. look so good in a dad cap, and I look like a corpulent fourth grader going I to disagree. Little <laughs> 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 I it took me a long time to really like lean into my fashion sensibilities and like just dress like a boy. And then I got it. And then I'm like, that's actually my sister's um, technique for job interviews is to just dress like a white man. That's also fair. Yeah. Don't w- always wear slacks. Yeah. Oh, God. AWS. <laughs> you can't get me into a dress. I feel like I'm in drag, but I don't know if I've ever seen you in a dress. I don't remember the last time I wore a dress. Gross. I don't even wear pants now. <laughs> You're shorts. You're a shorts gal. I love shorts. Yeah, that's true. I don't. Uh, I'm like, if you don't want to look at my cellulite, too bad. I Because I'm here and I have legs. I do sometimes wear shorts, but I wear men's shorts. And they it's because the chub rub on, like, women's shorts is, like, it's too much. I can't. My, I don't need my Wait, the thighs. chub rub on your thighs? Yeah. Oh, you have to use, like, a product. That's... I use Mega Babe. Or I could just wear pants. That's my solution. It's like, I'll just, I just get can't, a pair of I pants. I can't wear pants. <laughs> like, getting into a pair of jeans when it's 90 degrees out and, like, 885, 800% humidity in Boston is just not a thing. I can't do it. I mean, yeah, it is super sticky, but I just, like, kind of went with the swamp ass and, like, just did it. I don't know. I just, it's like humidity shuts my brain and body down. It's like every cell in my person is just like. <laughs> That's how Caesar is too. He like could not live in the bayou. No, absolutely not. Wow. Oh, is that why Caesar hated Boston so much? Yeah. Or was it the racism? It's both. I mean, not like there, <laughs> there's races everywhere. They're walking among us. Um, so back to Sicily and her great outfit. So she walks in very casually and she tells her mother that she walked to her dad's office and then took the bus to the beauty parlor and she says very pointedly that she walks she walked across the train tracks to get home because she knows that her mother's been afraid that one of them is going to get hit by a train Uh, and then Roz slaps her I think Roz would most want Cicely to get hit by a train at this point to be honest yeah but that's the thing is like I don't like she does slap her but I think it's out of not out of hatred for her. I think she's just, like, so... She was so, so upset. Yeah, yeah, she was, like, so upset. She just sort of, like, hit this wall of anxiety and frustration and sorrow. And it was, like, a really real moment. Um, And then, so, Cicely walks out, and then Eve goes upstairs to console her, and they they hug. And their relationship is also really dense, and, um, like, they care a lot for each other, even though they don't always... Mm-hmm see eye to eye um later that night Roz tells Cicely that she was just like her at her age and she thought she knew everything um but now that she's older she says even the familiar things she doesn't understand um more memory more through lines um and that all she knows is that she loves her and that it's her job to protect her and then she threatens to lock her in the room she ever leaves again and then she says that she that Cicely is not allowed to say 
to wait up for Lewis anymore. More foreshadowing. Uh, and then Roz and Lewis argue, wakes the children. Um, and then later on, Moselle and Grey Raven sit outside. He proposes to marry her. But Moselle says that she can't because she's cursed and barren. And then he says she's not barren. She's just wounded and he'll plant seeds in her heart. That's not how that works. But We don't get any resolution on that. I assume he dies, but we don't know. I, I think that they die together in old age. That's what I'd like to say. And that, like, Moselle already has three children. And she helps her her sister-in-law raise her nieces and nephew. Um, Yeah. So while they sit in the on the bench, they um, hear a commotion and tires screeching, and they run up and they see that a child has been hit by a bus. Um, and then they <laughs> realize. Then Moselle realizes that it's not one of her her relatives. And then we're at the house and everyone is rejoicing the death of oh another my God, child. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa! Everybody, <laughs> calm down! Oh my God! I know. And then grandma, and then like, oh, it's just Dickie's boy. I was like, hey, Dickie's boy had a name, okay? He's also, yeah. Um, so then grandma, who is for once the voice of morality, is like, uh, you shouldn't be celebrating someone else's uh, child's death. And then Eve goes to tell Cicely that they can all leave the house again because somebody else died. And then Cicely tells her um, to fuck off, basically. And then Eve finds her... Um, her underwear that's stained with period blood and then she like runs threatens to go tell dad and then they run she runs out of the house and Cicely chases her and then tries to choke her um, and then Roz and Lewis seem to have momentar- momentarily reconciled because Roz is concerned about why Cicely isn't talking to anyone she hasn't been eating for days she's really resigned um and upset and then Cicely asserts that he she doesn't want him to examine her and then he says that he knows a lady doctor that she can go see eve is walking down the road she's whistling amazing grace yes uh she gets to the market and she steals a pineapple which was really funny it was pretty funny and then uh so because she goes to this market in search of um this no, that's not it yet. Anyway, never mind. Forget I said that. No, that that's was later. later that's she, later. I think she just went to steal the pineapple. She just this she time. was like she fucking didn't. fucking around. She's like, I haven't been out of the house. I want to steal something, um, even though I have she all the hankering. money in the world. The funny thing is, like, she could have stolen it any time because the guy wasn't paying attention right. to her. But she was like, and then she was seeking. She was risk taking. It's because yeah, a little thrill seeker. Eve is a trickster. She's our trickster god. Um, she wants to, it's to fuck around and have fun. Um, and then even Poe... Okay, and then so she steals the pineapple and then she runs into this um, conjure woman who's in whiteface again and she gets startled, drops the pineapple, and then the woman calls her a bad girl and then starts cackling to herself as Eve runs away. Um, and then back at the house, Eve and Poe are running around, but Cicely is still somber. Roz worries that it's her fault um, because she slapped her and that everything between the two is um, is her blame. And then uh, Roz and Lewis sit down with Cicely and Lewis says that he's been talking to a psychologist and he thinks that some time away would be the best for her. And Roz says in like a very understanding uh, 
way that they'll only send her somewhere else if she wants to go and that it's completely her choice. And then um, Cicely says that she does want to go and so she'll be staying with um, Roz's mother, her grandmother. And Eve is really upset and she doesn't want to be left alone in the house with these people. And then Eve thinks that she's done something wrong and that she's been, like, annoying her older sister. And that's why she's leaving. And then uh, Cicely says it's not Eve and that she's her only friend. And then Cicely goes into the night of the storm uh, when Roz and Lewis were fighting about her and Maddie Moreau. And that uh, Cicely says that she always believed Eve, that she saw her father messing around with this other woman. And then Cicely went down to talk to Lewis after Roz went to bed, and she's massaging his shoulder, she sits on his lap, and then she kissed him in a father-daughter sort of peck on the lips, which is still weird. I've, I have never done that to my dad. I have never kissed anyone in my family on the Can lips. Can I tell you something I did once do to my dad, which is lives with me to this day? Oh, God. It's so bad, Rebecca. What? When I was a kid, I was swimming underwater at the local pond, and I, I was swimming and swimming, and I accidentally, like, bumped into my dad, and then I grabbed his dick by accident Woo! to steady myself, because I didn't know I was, like, eight, <laughs> but it, like, lives in my psyche to this day that I grabbed my dad's dick by accident. Oh, no. I'll never be okay again. Mm, I... I will never be okay again. I've actually never told anyone that before. <laughs> oh, I feel so privileged to know. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, Subscribe so. to our Patreon for more stories <laughs> from my childhood that are really traumatic. I don't have any traumatic father-daughter stories like that, thank God. Um, I was also, I was a daddy's girl, though. Which is I mean, I loved say, my dad, but... and he, it wasn't anybody's fault. I was swimming underwater with my <laughs> eyes closed and grabbed his dick. <laughs> I mean, like, <laughs> don't it's imply innocent. I wasn't a daddy's girl just because there was one dick grabbing incident. One. Just the one. Um, yeah, you're fine. We Good thing have... he'll never listen to this. <laughs> Jim, if you're out there, I'm you're sorry forgiven. I told. <laughs> You're forgiven for being assaulted by accident underwater. Oh man! But that's okay. actually mm-hmm. a little more levity than we should have offered. This, this is, is not like a serious, this is a serious situation. Yeah. I can't stop laughing. Um. So so then Cicely and her father have a little peck, and then Cicely says that Lewis starts grabbing her and rubbing on her and forces kisses on her and as she's trying thrashing and trying to get away he slaps her um and then eve is really upset and she says that he'll she'll kill him for hurting her um and then roz takes cicely to her mother's house and she says she'll only be gone for a week to get them settled um cicely gives eve a sort of hush in these like great white gloves that she's wearing as she's leaving in the car this, i like, know she looks so noise. good oh, and moselle clearly knows something's like Moselle catches it and she knows something's going on because Moselle is sitting right next to Eve like yeah I was like Cicely you fucking knew that was gonna happen um which is but that's like sort of the the beauty of this movie is it you never exactly know what's by design or what actions really lead to the consequences that we experience right um but so that night Moselle um 
Moselle finds Eve on the porch, and Eve's upset because Louis still isn't home, even though he was supposed to just be dropping them off at the train station, um, and it's late at night, and then um, Moselle goes into the nature of life and death, and like what the point of it all is. Um, she has a great line, most people's lives are a great disappointment to them, and no one leaves this earth without feeling terrible pain. Um, I was like, yeah. Mo has felt some shit (laughs) i it's but she yet is still able to like find love and care for her well with a guy like julian gray raven on your who couldn't find love who wouldn't yeah (laughs) um and then eve asks her sort of out of the blue how you kill someone with voodoo and then moselle says she doesn't know and asks eve why she's asking and who she could be so angry at and then moselle said she better tell Eve or she's going to fucking make her regret it. And then, so she makes Eve put her hands on hers and then she sees something that startles her and she jumps back. Um, and, and then Mo says, you can't kill people with voodoo. That's silly. And then the next day or another day, um, Eve takes money from her mother and father's room and hair from Lewis's comb. Um, and she goes to see a magical or the magical woman, this conjure woman at the, at the bayou. Um, and while she's looking for this woman who isn't at her normal shop, she sees Mr. Moreau, uh, husband of the slut. Um, he seems really nice. He seems nice, but dumb. Uh, and she asks him if he's still teaching. He says he's at Xavier, which is far. Um, and so most nights he can't get home. Uh, but he tries to when he can because he doesn't want to leave Maddie lonely. And then Eve says that Maddie doesn't seem like a woman who would get lonely. And then that her father also stays home late. Um, and she makes allusions to her father and Maddie being together late at night. And, and then how walks they're, away. they're not the lonely type. They're yeah. both not the lonely type. But that Roz, Eve's mother, is the lonely type. And that maybe he's also the lonely type. Um And then she walks away feeling satisfied, having ruined this man's life. Um, So Eve then sees the Contra woman out of her usual white face and dress and approaches her, gives her $20, and then the woman takes her back to her office, which is her house on the swamp. Um, They eat soup or something out of a bowl. They're eating soup while an owl watches is what I wrote down. (laughs) Eve is upset by the owl. Um, which I think is pretty kind of cool. I think that's cool to be upset. I don't know about having an owl indoors. They poop everywhere, but that's fine. It's not about the poop. It's more like the talons and like, I don't like big, big birds. Large birds <laughs> make me uncomfortable. I think I'm fine with, and maybe not like an ostrich or like an emu or anything too big. I'm not but... even that fond of chickens. I just feel like I if you got on the wrong side of a chicken, it could hurt you. Um... Maybe, probably. I mean, like, imagine, uh, like, you're just Don't get on around, the wrong side of a chicken. And, like, oh. a bunch of chickens come at you, and if they're, like, flapping around in your face, like, they could talon you and peck you. It could hurt. Um, I never knew you had this fear. I don't know. like big birds, no. Don't like Or them. big don't bird himself. Uh, I don't really have an opinion, but. Who is your favorite Sesame Street character? Grover. I could see that. I didn't even think about that. I just said it. Yes, so really. Be, you went for it. It must be somewhere in there. Yeah. Um, I always like Snuffleupagus. 
Oh, yeah. Adam likes Snuffleupagus. It's those eyelashes, you know? Oh, yeah, he's cute. He's so sweet. Or they. I don't know. Is he gendered? They. Are they gendered? They're, they are they, I think. They don't talk much, which is good. Or at all. They just make... They just... He just... They just make... Trunk. Wow, we are really struggling with, anyway. <laughs> with establishing the gender of our favorite let's, Sesame Street characters. Let's move on. Um, <laughs> All right, so they're eating soup. Oh, yeah, and then the woman um, asks who she would want dead, and then Eve says it's someone who's hurt her family, and the woman says she can give her something for protection, but Eve says no, she wants him dead. Um, the woman said she needs hair, and that Eve... Um, should come back Thursday night and they'll see. And Eve is, the woman asks her plainly if she wants, she's sure she wants this person dead. And Eve says yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Eve is seen at home sticking pins into this poor sock monkey that she also hates for some reason. That, that would, honestly. And then Thursday know, she goes out, out of the house misery. and goes back to the woman. The music on the way to the house is very cheerful. Um, kind of eerily so and then the woman says she didn't make a voodoo doll but she made a wax coffin she put the hair in the mouth of a snake and then buried the coffin in the graveyard where the other batistes live and then eve seems to sort of change her mind um because she She thought she would have the chance to back out by getting a doll yeah yeah she thought that like it wasn't over yet and that she still had to do something um and then she says she's gonna go find the coffin and the woman says she'll never find it and she starts cackling and eve runs away um along the train tracks to king's the bar where her dad hangs out she begs him to come home he's he says he's gonna say goodnight to mrs moreau and that eve should wait outside because he's still being a, a prick um, and then Eve sees a man walking along the train tracks, a vision that we've seen in these black and whites before. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, it's Mr. Moreau. He doesn't say anything to her. He goes into the bar and finds Lewis and Maddie flirting. Mr. Moreau grabs Maddie and asks Lewis if he's fucking his wife. He said that he trusted him and he loved him. And then Lenny, Mr. Moreau, um, says that he'll kill him if he ever talks to his wife again. Lewis leaves with Eve, but in the parking lot, he can't help himself but taunt Lenny and Maddie. This is another thing that was foreshadowed first, second scene of the movie when he was taunting Harry and Moselle um, before they left in a car and one of them ultimately died. Um, And then uh, Lewis says, goodnight, Maddie, sort of pointedly, and then Lenny turns around and pulls a gun from his waist belt. Lewis pushes Eve to the ground and Lenny shoots him dead as the train whooshes past um which at the fe- fulfills the second part of moselle's vision that she sort of like aborted after the child died by being hit by the bus so she right. presumably could have foreseen this but chose to kind of like stall the vision because she was traumatized by seeing dickie's boy get run over it's also again like their this site this gift that they're given isn't perfect and it's not like it's up to human interpretation and memory and understanding um which is flawed and then at the funeral cicely in particular is inconsolable um but we see a shot of Roz and the children laying in bed together peacefully um and then eve is sitting on the crook of a tree and moselle comes up to tell her a dream that she had about flying and drowning she dreamt that she was a bird and she saw a woman drowning and she knew it was her um but that she heard Lewis tell her to keep flying and so she let the woman drown and she said 
that was a vision that she should be with Julian no matter the cost, and she's hoping that they die together. Um, she also tells Eve that Lewis gave her a message to give to Eve, and it's that he still owes her that dance. Um, so there's sort of a reconciliation with her father's spirit and her. Um, and then Eve goes to her father's office. He puts, she puts on his hat and his stethoscope, and then he find, she finds a letter he had written to Moselle, um, Lewis says her accusations hurt him and that, uh, he's just a small town doctor who to some woman, some women appears to be a hero. Um, he said that his weakness is that he needs to be the hero, but he's not guilty of abusing his daughter and that he is only guilty of adoring her and allowing her to adore him. He says on the night of the storm, he knew Cicely would come down to see him cause she always did. And that the first kiss was just that of a father and daughter, but the second was that was brought on by Cicely was of a woman, and that he slapped her because he was so startled that she tried to kiss him that way, um, and that he wished that he had just sat down with her and had to talk about boundaries, and that their relationship could have stayed the way it was and intact. Um, and then Eve confronts Cicely with this letter and says that she lied to her and Cicely says he hurt her so badly she wanted to die and then Eve begs her to tell her what happened and Cicely says she doesn't know she doesn't know what happened and Eve takes Cicely's hands in hers and then Eve sees the night in black and white um and then Cicely says again says asserts that she doesn't know what happened and they cry together um and then the voiceover repeats kind of what um it said at the beginning that Eve is, and that she, Eve, the voice, is gifted with sight, and that memory is a selection of images, some elusive, others printed indelibly, indelibly on the brain. Images like a thread, each woven together to make a tapestry of inter- intricate texture, and the tapestry tells a story, and the story is our past. Trumpets play us out as Eve and Cicely hold hands over the water. The end. You did it. The end. It's very sad. The last shot was really beautiful, yeah. It was, yeah. Um, So how do you feel like this movie fits into the horror genre? It's, of course, not a straight-ahead horror movie, but it is really haunting, uh, and it does sort of, like, have a lot of... Are you okay? No, I have, like, ten minutes left to record this. I don't know. Do you want to stop and start again, or will we have forgotten everything? Welcome back. So this is Eve's Bayou Part 2, the morning edition, because we ran out of time yesterday and Rebecca had to go to work. Unfortunately. I'd much rather be here with you guys. Um, That's so nice. So we have coffee instead of wine. Yeah. And raspy voices, so. Do I sound raspy? Mm Mm-mm. Just me. I was just trying to make myself feel better. Oh, I called you out. That's not a good (laughs) friendship move. (laughs) Okay. So we just finished up the plot summary, and now we're going to dive into some of the thematic uh, things that run through this movie. Sometimes uh, called through lines. I was like, I shouldn't. <laughs> I want to, but I shouldn't. <laughs> I love it. Uh, where do you want to start? Memory? Uh, memory. Let's go with memory. There's just like... Everything is so interconnected and related that, like, talking about one thing is going to lead to talking about everything else. So, I mean, memory is a really important part. So, like, let's start there. Uh, Everything is scattered. Uh, The first sort of instance we see of 
kind of the vulnerability and changeability of memory is when Cicely reconfigures Eve's memory of what she saw between Lewis and Mrs. Moreau. So in that shot, we sort of see the mystical side to how memory functions. Like it's not just something, you know, that works in a scientific or straight ahead way. We can see that it's changeable that it moves and shifts, not unlike water, which is another thing that we see come up again and again in this movie. So Cicely, not wanting to like sully her dad's reputation, basically gaslights and reconfigures how Eve experienced that moment of catching Maddie Moreau and Lewis having sex. And instead of, you know, pushing back on that reconfiguration, she accepts it because it's easier and more convenient. I think like... Eve does at first take to the because she trusts her older sister and like will believe that she didn't quite understand what was happening. Um, but then I think it's important to say that the will of the human experiencing the memory also plays a role because will uh, Eve is unwilling to really accept this narrative because she goes back to asserting that this is what she saw and she uses it later on to like when she brings things up to her father, she knows this is what she remembers. But also, like, when Moselle sees or sees things that Eve has seen and she is unwilling to really accept them, she's also twisting her own memory and Eve's memory. So it depends on the will of the person, similar to, like, if you want to remember something this way, that's the way you're going to remember it. But Eve doesn't want to, so she sticks to what she knows she saw. I think that early scene of that reconfiguration as well where um Cicely kind of like tries to be to impress a different narrative on Eve is sort of a setup for just how ambiguous Eve's relationship to her adulthood and her own you know willpower is because Eve is two things she is a child that has the impulses of a child and the reactions of a child but she's also really intentional and really mature so she doesn't do anything without some kind of purpose, even if the purpose is misled. And so that duality, I think, is also contained in this scene because we see Eve both willing and unwilling to accept the narrative that her older sister offers. And it's also interesting because the first dialogue we hear in the movie is an older Eve, so we're already set up as this, like, Eve is... Where she's a child and, yeah, she's a reflective older woman, so... Um, and Eve is full of duality. She's like good and bad and mm-hmm. does end up killing her father in one way or another, sort of. And and yeah, and she but wants... But that's also Very so ambiguous. Vague yeah. and ambiguous, yeah. So everything in this movie feels like kind of your own memory because we're mm-hmm. tracking a collection of memories within a memory through the lens of the different perspectives of the sort of female characters in this film. That's, I like, that's, Uh, it's just such a, yeah, there's a, it's a beautiful (laughs) movie and it feels very nostalgic, even though we weren't alive in, you know, this time period that they're covering. And I, that, the pace of it has a lot to do with it too. It's like very slow at times. Although I always felt engaged. But, you know, when the kids are cooped up in the house and you feel the clock ticking and, like, it just feels like a childhood memory. 
And it also feels like the pacing is intentional because we don't want to arrive at the conclusion too quickly. We want the setup. We want the tension. And it enriches our experience to experience these dualities in Roz, uh, in Eve, in Elzora, and in Moselle. It's also a lot of the times with horror movies, I'm like with a, you know, quote unquote, slow placed horror movie that isn't maybe done as well as this one. Um, where it's like 20 minutes left in the movie and I'm like, when is shit going to pop off? Like, I don't feel like, you know, like, let's get this show moving. And I didn't feel that way with this. I was like, yeah, I agree. Yeah. So tell me, this is technically billed as a drama, but Casey Lemons has her roots in the horror genre and she Mm -hmm. also has, I think, a connection to this sort of magical realism and mysticism that exists in the Southern black experience. So I think this movie totally has a seat at the table in the horror genre, but it's difficult to explain why. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it does feel very like a 90s horror, which a lot of them sort of rode this line of like drama and horror because I think there's a lot of it that's like pretty scary like the idea of a little girl thinking she killed her father because of this like magical conjure woman you know that's scary I I don't know and memory in and of itself is kind of creepy and scary memory is actually terrifying and creepy mm-hmm. yeah like and the memory of grabbing my dad's dick by accident <laughs> that was terrifying um yeah so i want to shout out an article that i found really helpful i don't know if you dug into this one but it was it's a chapter in a book called the three faces in eve's bayou recalling the conjure woman in contemporary black cinema by tarsia l stanley and her uh, hypothesis is essentially that Elzora plus Moselle equals eve so Mm -hmm. Elzora and Moselle represent the good and bad binary of what like magic or black magic or voodoo or grigri can accomplish and then eve is sort of the complex you know byproduct of those two things and she combines both but i don't know if i buy it what do you think i don't i don't know i mean we only see eve as a child and not as a mature woman so i don't know where she's gonna take this gift of hers and if she's going to i mean she does everything with good intentions. Even the idea of killing her father is a very immature thought and like a knee jerk reaction to mm-hmm. feeling the hurt of her sister and of her mother and her entire family, really. But she does it so that ev- so that she can bring some sort of relief to her sister, right? So and she has complete faith in her sister, and she takes her sister at her word without hesitation and with compassion. And even at the end, when we're not really sure what transpired between um, Lewis and Cicely, is that, like, Eve is willing to, like, Cicely didn't understand what was going on, and, like, he's, Lewis is gone, so, like, this is, she needs me right now, regardless Mm -hmm. of what happened, so. Right. Which is a very mature thing, and, like, I, so I don't think that she would try to, I don't monetize her gift in that way. I don't know that money doesn't seem really important to her. She like steals a 20 without really understanding what it means. She gives it to Elzora, not knowing how much it is or really giving a shit. She's like, we've got this. I don't really need it. I just need your help. So like, and this is the only way I can get it. So I don't know that like, 
I don't know. Status or money is is an important thing to Eve. Unlike Sicily, who seems to, like, also bring along these markers of, like, not wanting to bring any shame to her father because he's the provider for the family. And definitely, like, enjoying wealth and enjoying, like, status and privilege within the community. Yeah. So... The other, another thing that Tarsha Stanley mentions is the um, conjure woman in black Southern culture as the site of collective memory, which has a totally interesting tie-in to this situation. Because situation, the situation room, Eve's bio (laughs) edition. Uh, Because Eve, when Cicely can't experience the memory of what happened with her father, holds it for her. And sort of, like, begins the process of becoming this vessel of collective memory for the family and for what sort of undid and made this family in two different kind of sides of the coin, Mm -hmm. uh, which I think is really interesting. So Eve bears the burden of Moselle's collective, Moselle's memory, uh, Cicely's memory, and just other general trauma that her family has experienced. She is the namesake of... Uh, the slave women who the town is named after. So with that and her gift of the second sight, she it sort of like bears upon her to co- like contain the collective memories of her family and of the founder of the town. We, yeah, we we talked about that a little yesterday. Is that like it has Shit, this I can't lineage? Remember. No, 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 no. You. This is you probably going to be made this very concise. And new. Choppy AF, because I yesterday feels like 10 years ago. I don't even know what day it is. Right. Uh, but yeah, that like this passing down from woman to woman is a, is like a oral and history and a history of their memory. And that she's holding it from like the original Eve, but not the, not the Christian's idea of Eve. But. And then as far as the Southern black experience, which we have literally no authority no to be idea. addressing. Uh, I just wanted to mention how validating it was to see that all of these characters, the local doctor, uh, the kind of like put upon long suffering spouse, the conjure woman, all of these tenants of the community are not experienced as an other. They're experienced as the heart and fabric of the community. So because we don't have to look at these characters in relationship to their painful you know sort of connection to white america we're able to really see inside and experience this town this space this community without having to feel like they're being othered because of the burden of white supremacy i mean we do still have like that's we open the story on an enslaved like an slave narrative so like there is that like Jean-Paul Baptiste is, like, ever-present because they're all direct descendants of him. Um, But we don't have to see white people in this movie. We don't have to. I love an all-black cast, so And we know that, yeah, of course, like, we are cognizant of the framework of white supremacy because of how the town was founded. Yeah. But we are able to see how this family and this community both works inside of that framework and transcends it because they have their own agency the town is their own the space is their own and eve moselle and other women from the batiste family have this second sight that kind of like transcends what they were born into and they have 
identity and status within the community that is irrelevant to the sort of power structures of a Christian nation that oppresses the other. Hmm. Hmm. I agree. I also like Casey Lemon. Thank you for agreeing. Very... I would have been really embarrassed no, if you were like, you're wrong, bitch. Mm, actually, um, but she's very intentional with not casting, with only casting black actors. Yeah, I'm glad I didn't have to look at any white people. Goodness, which it's is all we ever fucking do. This was the most successful independent movie of 1997. It was like, and it's in the Library of Congress. It's a great, and I really, it's really enjoyed it. It was film. a great yeah. movie, and I'm so glad that it did well. And Casey Lemons is doing pretty good. She just directed. Um, Harriet, so. I didn't see it. I didn't see it either. Another very powerful conjure woman, Harriet Tubman. Cynthia Erivo. I do like her. Yeah, I really like her. She was in, um, she was awesome in that movie, Bad Times at the El Royale, which was a dud of a movie, but she was great. (laughs) She was the best, yeah, she was like the good part of that movie. Everything else is pretty kind of trash. I do like a good set design. Um, speaking it is a of, really beautiful, and I, I'm a sucker for anything that's completely mid-century. Yeah. I get, like, wet in the fanny in the British sense. <laughs> Gross. Gross. Mustard-colored everything. So, ew. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so Not my fanny. The Not set the fanny, design. just the furniture. But so speaking of... do you think... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that, like, the costuming in this movie is... Like, oh my gosh phenomenal. and Eve's costuming is really intentional too because sometimes yeah. she's a child she's a tomboy other times she has that really aggressive crop top on so we see her as like more on the side of woman or not necessarily a sexual object so there is that sort of tie-in with like Cicely's experience of her relationship with her father it's sort of vague and unclear I would say that Eve is not sexualized at all in any way. Like, I never... I And Cicely is the exact opposite. Not even opposite. in the crop top? No, I mean, that crop everybody top loves was a good wild. crop top. Okay, yeah, fine. But it was... I don't know. It's hot It was, like, very Lolita. sweaty. Maybe, as I've mentioned, I'm reading Lolita, and my brain is <laughs> you just, like... like can't think of anything It needs to be else. recalibrated, yeah. <laughs> um, and the... So... I mean, yeah, like... Cicely is wearing makeup a lot. She's wearing dresses all the time. She's, like, very intentional the way she wears her hair. And I, yeah, I don't I don't see that for Eve, really, except for that it's hot and sometimes she has to wear um, smaller clothing, which I get. But I still think just the way she's shot, like, sometimes she looks like a little kid and sometimes yeah. she looks like an adult with, like, full-blown adult logic complexity and opinions she when she's running around with with poe and like scaring him and stuff like she's always in her little suspenders i do feel bad poe didn't get more play but poe didn't get any screen time he's fine he's and it seemed like he was so much younger but he's only a year younger than eve but he's just maybe not as um as with it so should we talk a little bit about eve's um voodoo against her father and the kind of like vagueness ambiguity of what really caused her father to die and a little bit about those sort of final scenes yeah i mean so we kind of i don't remember if we talked about this but there's a lot of like 
connections between, and this is another um, point that was brought up by another article that was in JSTOR that I. Oh, yeah, can't we realized we can get JSTOR through my job, and it's like I'm a so huge excited. deal. We're so excited. There was so many um, academic. Walls that I we couldn't transpire because yeah I'm like I don't I need pissed. to read what fucking Ebert has to say about this movie he's a total dick face and like I I love some research but I'm not gonna pay forty dollars for one research paper I can't do it okay. the library at my job is actually amazing they do mm. good work and they work really hard um so yeah so I'll remember I'll look up the name of the article but. Um, that connection between Eve and the god in some West African um, spiritual practices, Anansi, which I remember from a book when we were kids, um, and how he is a trickster god similar to Eve and embodies the sort of good-evil complex um, makeup. Because Eve is, like, constantly pranking her brother and taunting her sister and does these sort of immature things of trying to kill her father, and but also does all of it, with, like we said before, with good intentions. And she's ultimately forgiven by her father, even though I don't know that... He knows. He knows, or that it's really her fault, because he... Yes, he she brought that agency. He made the decision to say goodnight to, to cheat Maddie. On. Yeah. And he, he made every decision and be even before Eve took action, Elzora said to Roz in her reading, you know, give it three years and to look to your children. So it was already sort of established in the stars, or maybe it wasn't, but Eve is ten and she didn't do it. It's also like Eve <laughs> Is I don't it, in her telling of Mr. Moreau, which I think is really the the thing that sort of popped this whole interaction off. Is You're that, so like, into saying like pop. pop off. Am I saying pop? It's because I can't think right now, and that's like the the. This word is my fault. My... I made her record in the morning. Um, I'm not a whole cup of coffee in yet. Uh, so the this her telling Mr. Moreau what really is going on is all her, like, she's allowed to do that. She's a little kid who, like, is suffering and is suffering at the hands of her father and Mm -hmm. doesn't think that it's fair to her mother or to this man who seems nice and is like, hey, man, maybe you fucking go look at what your wife's doing right now. And, yeah, it is is entirely Lenny Moreau's agency to pull out this pistol and shoot... And it's entirely Lewis's fucking fault because he is the one who's cheating. He's the one who can't leave shit alone. Like, but also so. I think Eve, Eve telling Lenny Moreau this is just like the catalyst and the crux. You know, he obviously knew because it's common community knowledge. So mm-hmm. his ignorance of the signs and the gossip, you know, are his own of his own making. So there are so many like complex factors that contribute to that scene but it is it's really nice to think about the ambiguity and to experience it and not see you know blame immediately cast on a woman for her trying to take agency and take control of her life and her family's well-being i mean she does feel a, a tremendous amount of guilt but she's also i don't know i think even at the end she's more concerned with 
the women in her life with her sister and her mother. Well, because obviously so. Moselle must know too, because yeah. Eve, I think Eve was kind of asking Moselle's permission when she said, how do you kill someone with voodoo on the porch? Because Eve is intentional and intelligent. So she knows that Moselle has a second sight and will be able to kind of like pick up those cues. I don't think she's asking in a vacuum and I don't think she was asking innocently as if like Moselle wouldn't understand. And then when Moselle sees what Lewis did, I think she puts the pieces together and understands why Eve asked and Moselle doesn't condemn Eve either. Yeah. And she's, and she understands that she still feels guilty despite probably not having a hand at it. And so she gives her this sort of relief of like, he said he still owes you a dance. So like, even though Lewis is not the best person in the world, he's like still her father and she still feels a sadness and a grief and a wanting to sort of relieve some of that guilt. And it's really not about what Lewis did or didn't do at the end of the day. It's about protecting like their sisterhood and their relationship to each other, their relationship to their mother and building back out their families infrastructure in a meaningful way instead of focusing on what Lewis did to take them down or to damage them. I mean, it's also like he was, he had to be sacrificed in order for any of them to be able to move on. To like flourish. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I love a good sacrificing of a man. You know what? It had to be done. (laughs) And we don't have, we don't have to, the onus is not on the viewer to decide whether Lewis is guilty or innocent. It's on the viewer to kind of like, see that the women in this family were being adversely affected by his behaviors, whether or not whatever transpired with Cicely that night happened the way that she says it does. It's just we we see that they can't live in peace and happiness with him still in the picture. Mm-hmm. It had to be done. It had to. And then, you know, Roz is going to be happy and Cicely can kind of come into her womanhood in at her own pace in her own time with her own understanding without like And Moselle is sort of free of feeling this responsibility for the actions of her brother. They're all able to to fly free like birds, more symbols. Cacaw. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Do you have any final thoughts? I I don't know. I think everything is fine. I Jesus, Rebecca. I don't what remember what we talked about. Uh, I hope everybody likes this episode, even though we have no idea where we are. I don't know where we are. I don't know where I am. Um, I feel like we've covered it all. And yeah, sounds great. <laughs> I don't know. I was just like looking through my notes. Like, did I talk about that? Don't know. I don't think. Yeah, I don't through even line, know. Through line, memory, pacing. Conflation. There's also, we didn't, uh, the article that I read, uh, oh, fuck, I should look it up right now, but the sort of, like, unique African-American experience of, like, having these roots and the spirituality from Africa m- sort of mixed and melded Was with it this uniquely... Was it Echoes in Africa? Ex- what? Echoes in Africa, and to Sleep with Anger and Eve's Bayou by yes, Mary Ellison. Yes, yeah. yes, That was a good it. article. Thank you, Mary um, Ellison. Thank you, Tarsha L. Stanley. For your work. We appreciate it. And it helps We a wish lot. we could pay you for your labor, but we're poor. But we're poor. If you want to come on the podcast, 
Let's do it. Um, She'll be like, let me fix every stupid fucking thing you said because you've been socialized <laughs> in white supremacy and you don't know anything about the black experience. Truly. Why would we? Why would we? So, oh shit, I interrupted you though. You were saying something. Oh, just especially with the spirituality aspect of the conjure woman in Moselle, she's still using um, her Christian faith and they pray to God and to. I think they use the term the Lord uh, before she starts this sort of um, influenced by her West African roots um, Mm -hmm. in her practice, in her counseling. Which is essentially how like Southern American voodoo and Grigri and other sort of indigenous African plus Christianity belief systems popped up. It's just this sort of amalgamation of this sort of black slave experience when being brought, you know, away from their home and their, like, countries of origin, and then bringing those indigenous belief systems, even while, like, white supremacist Christianity and power structures that only respect the Christian God are being kind of forced upon them. Right. Christianity has never done anything good. Well, I agree. Um... Yeah, and so it's it, especially for the South and Louisiana and mm-hmm. the, the French colonization of the. Yeah. It's like very unique to this area of Louisiana. So that's it. That's all I got to say. Finn. Well, thank everybody. Thank you, everybody, for listening to us. If you are a person of color, woman of color, and you have feedback, please DM us on Instagram, email us, whatever. We would love to hear. Where we went wrong, where we went right, and we'll happily make corrections in a future episode if anyone has feedback. Uh, and if we had any money, we would pay you for your labor and your feedback. So if you are like, fuck you, I'm not giving you free emotional labor, I respect okay. that as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. So um, again, not our place, not our job, but we wanted to make sure that we did what we could to bring this movie and its complexity and its lasting impact on the American experience to light. And we really did try. Yeah. Oh, I, and, I tried. And I, and again, like, yeah, we don't have any place, but I also don't want to leave out black narratives in our discussions of movies. And it was a great movie. And you should watch it. I'm sorry. Everybody should watch it. <laughs> <Conclusion, laughs> and I'm sorry. <laughs> we're sorry we're garbage, but please keep listening to us. So we are heartily in real life. We're still in November, but in podcast world, we're already well into December. So mm. it is a fish the holiday season, which is one of my favorite seasons. I'm a big Christmas stan. Y'all know I love a mid-century aesthetic. So I get really jazzed up on mid-century Christmas decorations. Like big so, jolly Santas with rosy red cheeks. Exactly. And like the little nose. Adam oh. was like, can we not have your like 60s tree topper that blinks and gives me a seizure? And I was like, absolutely not up for discussion. It's days. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I do love I love ornaments. That's like another like me too. It's fun. And we my mom has so many and. When we all, when my sister and I moved out, we split up and got into a fight over who got what. Emma and I like, like shook the core of our relationship, particularly this one enamel and stained glass ornament of like a little Dutch girl with clogs on. We were like, 
this is going to tear a relationship apart. <laughs> I think she got it in the end. Uh, it's because she's but, the yeah. baby. Well, my, my sister and I split up my mom's ornaments as well. Um, and I actually, this was just last year, and I literally forgot what I took. So mm-hmm. I'm very excited to crack open that bin and find out what the fuck is in there. I always forget what the ornaments look like until it's I like see them. It's like a new like, delight oh, yeah. each time. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't, so, I didn't pull them out last year, but I'm gonna, I'll pull them out this year. Why so. not? I don't know. I, dead inside? I got busy and I we didn't decorate. I don't know. It's just oh Caesar gosh. and I. It is a priority to decorate for me. I'm absolutely <laughs> must have it like dressed to the nines in here. I It's a great way to stave off seasonal depression. I'm I don't know. I'm lazy, so Does seasonal depression happen if it's always kind of warm, like in Arizona? Do you do you feel it? I think it's just regular depression. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Same. <laughs> so next week we're going to do the 1997 slasher flick, Jack Frost. Yeah. I haven't seen, but I remember seeing uh, like ads for it. And you I feel never like watched it, was... it on TV late at no, night dude. during the Christmas season. You know I haven't seen any movies because I of know. my dad. My dad's a pastor, and he was like, nothing that can make you die inside. And I was like, I'm already dead inside. Uh, okay, so it is from 19, 1997. It has a hearty 7% on Rotten Tomatoes. Ooh, so. It's going to be the exact opposite of this movie. It's going to be, <laughs> yeah, let's get drunk again. It's going to be, like, so uh, dumb, but fun. So, Just like us. Just, I was going to uh, say, that's me. That's my tagline. Dumb but fun. <laughs> The week after that will be Christmas Day, so we're going to do Black Christmas from 1974. Yeah. So Rebecca loves this movie. I've only ever seen remakes, so I'm really excited, too. I love and then Black, Black Christmas. 2020, this cursed year, will be over. Although I think it's kind of silly to be like, 2020 fucked us. Like, capitalism Everything fucked, fucked us. Yeah. It's, yeah, we've been <laughs> fucked, bro. Uh, we've been fucked. So it's just because y'all were just sitting in your house realizing, like, oh, wait. It's my big. life. I've I'm privileged. Oops, oops, a daisy. Yeah, so. like, hey, don't take my Thanksgiving turkey away. I'm white. <laughs> how dare? Like, how dare you? <laughs> so we love you guys. Thank you for listening. You can subscribe, rate, and review over on Apple, or just follow us on Spotify. Tell your friends, please. We know please. you have friends. We don't have friends, so we you don't have, have to them. tell your friends for us. And you our can friends find who are our... listening are like, well, fuck me then, I guess. Sorry. I mean, Just sorry, kidding. guys. You're already in and you can't get back <laughs> out now. now. It's about recruiting new, new people. Yeah. Uh, so our Instagram is at spooky succubus underscore cast. You can find our link tree there with links to get onto Apple or Spotify and also our Patreon. Pa- Patreon? Mm-hmm. Patreon. Rebecca has to go serve French onion soup and like Budweiser's. <laughs> To dickheads, so join our Patreon yeah. so she doesn't have to do that anymore. We just need like six hundred more of you, and then yeah, I if any of job. you know six hundred people, just send like, them blank let's start over. a cult. Yeah, I thought about starting a cult. We could do my it. Uh, friend Adam's cousin Caroline. She and her husband live in Maine, so I always send her listings to like old farmhouses in Maine. And her husband is very charismatic, so I think he could be like a really good cult leader, and then we can be. 
like pulling the strings from behind the scenes. Right. I think it's a great idea. Sort and of I think wild, I would wild be really style. Exactly. And I'm really good at administrative stuff. So I think I would be great at running a cult. I think you would be too. I would be Let us know trash, if you want to join our cult. So I mean, I'll just pop in and see what's going on and then leave. Because um, I'm like not, I'm not good at recruiting. Leave. I'm not good at selling. I'm not good at like um, following orders. Or well, telling can't wait other to try people. to get 600 Patreon subscribers <laughs> with you. <laughs> Whoops. We're already here. Too late. Um, hey Cool. All right, All right dudes. Thanks. We love you. Have a great week. We'll see you next Friday. Bye. Bye.